You're listening to Work Tape, episode 94. of the Work Tape Podcast. It is your boy, Money Mitchell. We have Isaac Ruben Grover. How do you do? So we have some breaking news here, or relatively breaking news in the music world. So Ed Sheeran has once again come on top in another copyright lawsuit case. Just recently, it was announced that the jury is not finding him liable for ripping off Let's Get It On. Therefore, he does not have to retire from music as we know it. Sheeran stated pretty boldly that if he was to have lost this case in really any capacity, that he was going to withdraw from music entirely, with many folks being on the side of him, but some people kind of joking that maybe it wasn't going to be that much of a loss considering Sheeran's music. But even for someone such as myself, who I'm going to be really honest, I have not been the biggest fan of Sheeran's last couple albums, even I sided with him in this particular case. I think that the fact that this case even happened off of basically a chord progression, I think is kind of awful. And the fact that it went this far to court off of a chord progression, which is something that really cannot be trademarked. And also it kind of reiterates my feelings on the Marvin Gaye estate and that they're greedy and money hungry. This is the same Gaye estate that won $5 million from Pharrell and Robin Thicke a couple of years earlier over Blurred Lines. And even with that example, that was a huge stretch too, you know, in the sense that they were pretty much suing over a similar vibe. It wasn't even like a chord progression or a melody. It was like a vibe. And they won, you know, $5 million. There needs to be a penalty for these faux accusations. Yeah, absolutely. I think that if you keep continuing to make like baseless claims, yeah, I do agree. I think there should be like a fine or some kind of, you know, repercussion for making claims that are essentially baseless. And like I said, with the gay estate, it's happened a lot more than a lot of other musical families or music artists. And actually, I mean, when you look at a lot of the lawsuits, a lot of the lawsuits that have been coming in with music in regards to a similar sounding type of thing actually have come from artists that are dead, like Tom Petty or Jeff Lynn suing over Sam Smith's Stay With Me, sounding like Won't Back Down. How do you feel about the Hendrix estate? Uh, uh, sorry, Hendrix estate. I can't even say that properly. <laughs> The Hendrix estate is, um, I have mixed feelings. Same. I don't despise them as much as the gay estate, which is really sad for me to say. because No, the gay estate, they've been going for gold for a while now. <laughs> right. Honestly, with the gay estate, I feel like they're trying to just piggyback and they're trying to continue to ride the coattails off of what their dad, their uncle, their grandfather did, you know, years beforehand, you know. He was tragically taken from us in April 1980, what was it, 1980-something, because his own dad shot him. So, you know, that's something. But yeah, the gay estate, like I said, is just, 
gold digging for sure. That's sad. It sounds like it runs in the family. Yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of animosity between the family members and kind of like distrust and and jealousy for sure. Yeah, distrust, jealousy, envy. Yeah, all of that. But that's kind of something that, you know, a fair amount of the music artists that I really like, like especially in the R&B and soul space, have had kind of rough family dynamics. Like even the DeBarges, one of the most successful like family units, had their ups and downs of abuse and, and all that too. So yeah, it's just, I don't know, like, I guess with family business, it can get a little murky sometimes. And the, the funny thing is, or the interesting thing is, is that actually some of Marvin Gaye's kids or lineage, they've actually tried their hand at music, like kind of unsuccessful. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh, but I find it laughable for certain reasons. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like Marvin Gaye the third or something that tried to come out with like a like an EDM style song or something. Okay, so he gets props for not doing Motown. He, he does. He absolutely does. Because if you look at like Bob Marley's family, pretty much a lot of people who decided yes. to do music. Yes. Because, <laughs> yeah, because people who tried to do music in Bob Marley's family are trying to sound pretty much exactly like Bob. I mean, Dude, like, okay, so Ziggy gets somewhat of a pass. He did it all right, but I'm like, you know what I mean? We don't need more Bob Marley's from the Marley family at all. Yeah. That is my opinion. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I mean, I don't dislike Skip. He's okay, but but there's something about, uh, there's like this, I don't know, man. Part of the issue is also with, uh, this is going to be a blanket statement that might be inaccurate. But um, reggae has a history, at least a community, kind of like the country community of not innovating. Mm. I'm just being real with you. And so I feel like with country and reggae, I think they can evolve. But I think the way that the commercial communities have evolved has been not at all or very minimally. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, I know you can't just say rap or hip hop is just one genre. I know all of these, but all of these genres have subgenres. So that's another thing. Yeah. But hip hop has evolved a lot better. And there are a lot of hip hop heads who are like, no, we need to do the 90s boom bat. But at least they evolved better, in my opinion. Beyond that. Yeah, they did. I mean, reggae, you know what's crazy? Reggae just turned into, like, modern reggae. This is a good and a bad thing. The bad thing is that there hasn't been much innovation. The good thing is it is still somewhat innovative. But again, it's not the best. It's um, it's beats. It's like some other main genres that have just, it's just beats now. Like, dance hall is just beats. Right. It's a little stagnant, I think, is kind of what I think you're getting at. It's like it went up to a point and then it didn't really continue to evolve past said point. And then a lot of the modern examples, a lot of times it's reggae influence, but it's not necessarily something that's actually pushing reggae forward. Exactly. Exactly. You know, because, for example, a uh, reggaeton. Same thing. Same thing. Or uh, so reggaeton. And another one is, um, oh, it's the tip of my tongue. It's uh, Afrobeat. Afrobeat, yes. The same thing. And it's crazy because I do this too. I create those beats as well. I enjoy it. Oh, yeah. I love it. But I'm also depressed inside that I'm like, wow, like 
all of these genres, you know, that we're like, if you listen to Afrobeat, you listen to reggae, you listen to um, reggaeton. If you listen to a lot of these genres back in the, at least even the 80s, let's even go back to the 80s, not even the 70s, because I like that. That's like the golden age for reggae. But 80s, all of these genres existed as well as dancehall. And dancehall was different from roots reggae. Yes. But now you got the word reggae, which that's vague. And then you got the word dancehall. You got the word reggaeton. You got the word Afrobeat. And guess what? Today, they're all created in FL Studio. That's all you need. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, too, is that the distinction between them is, um, and this is kind of more of something with the general public, I think, even more so than with a lot of artists, they all get lumped under the same kind of basic category. Even if the song is clearly not reggae or something, they will still say (laughs) that it is because, because it has a certain vibe or it has a certain characteristic. What I was going to mention actually is I will mention the 70s and actually a little bit of that time because actually when reggae, I think, was at least from my understanding and when it was getting really popular and really kind of getting its traction, there actually was a lot of variation and subgenre in reggae, just like there was in hip hop, because with Trojan Records, for example, you know, being really big in the UK and and whatnot, you had, you know, rock steady, you had dub music, you had lovers rock. It was diversified back then. Exactly. Yeah. You had ska. And ska was the first known or popularly known iteration of it. Right. And it was different. And yeah, ska was huge, especially in like the UK. That was big. And I think, I don't know if it's, isn't ska like predominantly identified by the use of horns and kind of like the faster tempo usually? Yeah, it's a faster tempo, even though reggae, like roots reggae incorporated horns as well in many scenarios. Yeah. It didn't always need it. Yeah. Now ska tends to be more characteristic of horns than reggae itself. But the weird thing about reggae and ska is that ska preceded reggae. I guess you could say ska really is the father because ska was its thing. And then reggae branched off from ska, essentially. And so they kind of became separate things. But a lot of people just lumped them together as like, they call ska reggae. And, and actually, I think I think ska got called reggae more than reggae being called ska. Yes, I would say so. Yeah. So I think that's kind of just an interesting thing to think about is the fact that at one point, I think reggae music did have a lot of that diversity and that kind of difference but then just as it progressed and it got really mainstream and people really only thought of reggae music as kind of you know bob or pete tosh so so that's a problem mitch is that reggae the same thing that happened with reggae is what happened with country it turned into novelty right and it's so frustrating and it like it got reduced down to i mean people don't even know peter tosh that's horrible I mean, people are dad's age, you know, like they might know Peter Tosh. Of course, I would think. But people today do not know Peter Tosh unless they like listen to the genre and understand it. So Mm. it's a shame what happened with reggae. It turned into like this novelty thing. It like, oh, it's Bob Marley, you know, his face. Oh, that's the face of reggae, which in a popular sense, of course it was. But yeah, in a stylistic sense, I mean, Bob Marley was such a a small sliver of that. 
Well, and Bob didn't even do reggae his entire career. Bob started doing folk music. Yes, and he did not invent it. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, he did not invent it. Right. And the thing about reggae being a novelty, let me let me just tell you this. When Eddie Murphy starts doing it, or when Snoop Dogg <laughs> starts doing it, then you know it's a novelty. I kid you not, Eddie Murphy put out some reggae music. I kid you not. Go on YouTube right now. Look up Eddie Murphy reggae, <laughs> and you can find Eddie Murphy. Yes, that Eddie Murphy singing reggae music. Anyone can do this. Oh, <laughs> I think I remember listening to that forever ago, dude. That kind of sound. And it's, it's really like, cringy, dude. He really tried hard to be the dub style and it just didn't really work. And that's a problem with reggae is, and actually any genre, is that when you try, you fail. So that's why it's better to, it's like to master any genre, it has to be subconscious and it has to be something that's natural and then you can do it. But absolutely. Oh my gosh. The reggae parodies, to me, they're just parodies, you know, they're not serious. Right. And like these black people think oh you know we're black we can do reggae uh no you can't <laughs> yeah we can we can yeah, we can put on like a, a bee and some dreads and do it no 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 that's like me trying to rap like dude i'll leave that to eminem right you know in logic that's chill i'll make the beat but <laughs> right, you're gonna right you're, right if you, right no offense isaac but if you're gonna sound like chat gpt <laughs> you know okay I will say this. I think I could pull off something. I'm just saying I'm not near that level. Yeah. Yeah. And and if I rapped, I would definitely do something that I know I could do. Right. Rather than trying to, I don't know if it sounds terrible. And I'll be like, okay, this is just right. a joke, but I'm not going to take this seriously myself. <laughs> right. I, I do think that your strengths overall lie in, in the production. It's fantastic. So I appreciate it. I just stick to pop and rock, dude. That's just my thing. Well, no, I've heard some of your boom bass stuff. Your boom bass stuff's good too. So appreciate it. And actually, speaking of rap, um, that kind of is an interesting segue into the next episode. Well, we'll, we'll where we'll now I can't talk either. <laughs> so uh, rap is a nice segue into the next episode of the podcast, where we'll be talking about Rage Against the Machine. Hall of Fame inductees. You don't want to miss it. Yeah, it's pretty wild to think that a band that is so anti-establishment is now getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But yet again, I guess that's nothing new. So much of the artists that have been behind great protest music have been inducted. I guess, well, NWA is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I mean, when you have a song called F the Police and you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, I mean, there's no uh, limits at that point. Um, I, and I do think the induction is very well-deserved, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, there's some stuff. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit more and others who are being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the next episode of the Worktape Podcast. Uh, once again, congratulations to Ed Sheeran for beating another copyright case and not having to retire from music. I know some people collectively are groaning that he's not retiring from music right no, now. No, this is a win for all of us, to be honest. It really is. Because you know that the case is majorly screwed up. If independent artists or artists that are like avant-garde, who are the complete antithesis of what Ed Sheeran is, are siding with him. Yeah, that's how he started. He kind of started pretty indie. 
Yeah, and I do think that him winning the case does restore my faith in humanity, and it restores my faith in the art of music being able to survive, because I, I do think that if the case would have gone the other way, it would have set an awful precedent um, for music moving forward. And to be honest with you, if it went the other way, which thank God it did not, as I kind of thought, because I just, I'm like, there's no way you can copyright a chord progression. And that was the main argument. And that's what ended up really settling it was the fact that that wasn't even Marvin Gaye's progression. It wasn't even like Marvin Gaye and Ed Townsend came up with that progression themselves. That progression had been in circulation long before they decided to record let's get it on. That's what ended up being the difference, ultimately. And just for those who want to know, the real things in terms of music that hold up in a court of law are lyric and melody. You can't trademark or copyright drum patterns. You can't copyright or trademark chord progressions. Otherwise, the whole of the 90s pop punk community would have been screwed from the start. Yeah. <laughs> Travis Barker would be rolling <laughs> Travis Barker would be a billionaire if he was able to trademark so much of those pop punk drums he did in the 2000s. Yeah. And then the revival music of the 2020s with the pop punk revival. He would be a billionaire. But um, the other boys would have had to change your chord progressions because they're right. pretty derivative. And Travis Barker is already rich. He just would have been even more rich. Like, it's just crazy. But no, I think that overall, it's actually one of the better pieces of music news that I've heard. Same. That, you know, we're going to be able to keep using chord progressions that we like and that have been used by other artists and not have to worry about or have to worry less about getting sued over them. And so I think that's great. But stay tuned for the, the next episode of the Work Tape Podcast, where we'll once again be talking about the recent inductions of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, most notably Rage Against the Machine, but there's countless others that we can discuss as well. It's your boy, Tony Mitchell, Isaac Rubin Grover. Stay hydrated. Peace. Peace.